0: Hey guys welcome to Gateway thank you to the band they do uh yeah I don't think I've ever seen Adam play the piano or whatever that is organ, whatever it is, but he's more talented than I thought um, <laughs> you know uh. This is off script, but there's a man here that has has seen the before and after, because I can tell you guys anything, a lot of you don't know the before, you only know what I tell you, I could be be full of it, I could be the biggest liar in history, but, you know, my wife obviously knows, uh, my mom, you know, I got a guy named Louis Tuck that's in the building, and it didn't collapse, so you're good today. Um. But he, uh, I believe it was Paul that said that we all have the instinct of God in us. Even before, even if we don't know Christ, we can do godly things, you know. Sometimes something, you see something and you're compelled to act, whether you know Jesus or not, and that kind of proves the instinct of God is in us. We got his DNA. He is our creator. So our hands are, his hands made us. So one day we could either give recognition to him or we don't have to, but it just proves the fact that there's one instance in my mind that Lewis came over to my house. It was another Sunday evening of getting paid on Friday, completely broke, maybe got about three cigarettes left, nothing to eat. I had enough change to get a, a, a cheeseburger from McDonald's that was right down the street. I ate that and I took a handful of ketchup packages because I was so hungry, and I went home, <laughs> he's laughing with me, not at me, and I started eating him, and he shows up at the house with his family, he cared about me, and he loved me enough to come over there, and you know what I did when I opened the door and saw him, I screamed and yelled at him, I said, what are you doing here, why are you coming over, why are you always checking on me, and he said, dude, don't yell, my family's here, And they walk in with a plate with tinfoil over it to feed me. Someone that don't deserve nothing. I deserve to sit in that pit because I made bad decisions and blew the money again. Without even me and him even knowing who God is. You know, I remember just seeing him on a cross. But he proved later in my life as I'm reading through the scriptures. and, And Louis proved that to me. You know, me and him have a lot of conversations. We talk just about every other Friday now. He's sniffing around. It'll happen. Um, uh, But anyway, I want to be, I'm going to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you for this day. I thank you for every face that's in here. I thank you that you trust me enough to give you, to to, to share who you are. It's an honor. And Lord, get me out of the way. Present the message. In Jesus' name I pray. Um, I'm going to be completely transparent right now because about, I think it was about three weeks ago, I called Scott, and Scott was gracious enough last week when he was saying nice things not to share this. I called him and told him, I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with fear. I'm filled with all sorts of things. Scott, I can't do this. So Scott, to keep his illustration going from last week, as I'm running down the hill... Scott's charging up the hill with a flag, and he stops me and says, hey, buddy, no one said retreat. He said advance up the hill. And so thank you for our pastor that cares enough. And because I've heard him say it a million times up here, I do not shrink back. Or, I do not shrink back. We keep going forward. And I wanted to quit because I was scared of this because I had been a trying, been a trying few weeks so that's me. Just because a person stands up here doesn't mean they got it all together. I'm scared. I got a lot of things, you know, that I deal with. But let's get to the let's get to the to, to what we're talking about here tonight. It says Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and I I asked to have both versions put in there because I'm gonna be jumping, because there's words. There's words that jump out to me, and this is for Zadie. There's a song called Fight Song, and she says one word will make a heart open, and if that's for Zadie, she's not here, and no one else gets it, so whatever. Um, (laughs) It says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." I say it again, rejoice. Is it easy to rejoice? You know, it's easy to rejoice when things are going well. It's easy to rejoice when the bills are paid. It's easy to rejoice when you know we got AC in the house. It's easy to rejoice when you got AC in the car. When you're driving the church, it's easy to rejoice if the AC is working in here. Those things are. E- it's easy to rejoice when things are going well. What if things aren't going well? What if cancer? Is it, either, is it easy to rejoice when you're watching someone? Just kind of wilt away? Is it easy to rejoice? Was it easy to rejoice when I watched my oldest brother just get skinnier and skinnier and skinnier and cry and cry and cry and we prayed and prayed and prayed and he didn't get the answer he wanted? Is it still easy to rejoice? You know, I continued to rejoice. It was hard. It was hard to watch him, but it was hard to watch my mom. It was hard to watch, you know, my brother's kids, my nephews. It was hard to watch. But the Lord says rejoice because my brother gave his life to Christ three years before he passed, and it was evident in the change because when he got to the hospital, my, my sister-in-law called me and said, Doug, he's different, and I watched him be different. He didn't get the answer he wanted. He wanted to stay longer, but he didn't get to. But I believe he is in heaven. I believe he's sitting there in heaven because he gave his life to Christ. In the midst of the worst trial of his life, he continued to rejoice. Didn't matter. And so I'm I'm thankful for the opportunity to share Christ with him because God gave me that. He gave me that one. He gave me that. that, uh, That was my job. Now, it says here, let your gentleness be evident to all. And in the in a, in a, a New American Standard Bible, says, let your gentle spirit be evident to all. So a sense of gentleness. And I want to make sure that I got this right because I wrote it down. And since I'm not going to find it, it basically means not holding something against somebody. Like Megan said, showing mercy to someone because how much mercy has been shown to you and me? And I don't see him here. But Charlie and Amanda Burns comes to my mind. I don't see them here. Are you here? Dirty guys. Son of a gun. All right. Charlie and Amanda Burns have shown me something over these last two weeks that blows my mind. Because, and I got permission to talk about this. I'm not just throwing people out, throwing people's business out here. I have cleared this with them. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Charlie and Amanda Burns have made a lot of bad decisions. They've made a lot of bad decisions. They've experienced loss. They've experienced a lot of heartache, a lot of things that maybe didn't deserve mercy. They also experienced cancer. They've experienced a lot of pain, a lot of out of their control, and a lot was self-inflicted. But you know something that blew my mind because he's trying his butt off right now. That whole family's trying their butt off right now. Is that they have opened their house up to a young man named Shane back there, who I went to high school with. They are showing him absolute gentleness and absolute mercy. They are fighting for him because he couldn't fight for himself. His option was to go sleep back in the woods. Or go to a job house and least and, and sleep in air condition and have to fight the temptation of getting high. So Charlie and Amanda stepped in and said, no, those aren't options. This is an option. Come stay with us. And then they went on behalf of other people and fought for him. Someone that can't fight for himself. And let me give you a little visual of what it looks like through Shane's eyes because I've experienced it. I've been him. So is a lot of other people here. Now you're looking down the barrel of people that you've hurt, that you've burned, that you've lied to, that you manipulated, and you're at their mercy. You're looking at them saying, please believe me this time, because I don't have any other option. He's at the mercy of an employer. He's at the mercy of a lot of different things. Is it good business to hire someone that's burned you quite a few times? Is it good business? Probably not. I don't own a business. Probably never will own a business. But I work, and I know what it looks like in the delivery world. If someone doesn't show up, everything's jacked up. So why are you going to continue to hire someone that doesn't, you know, doesn't show up? But at some point, someone's got to take a chance. Someone's got to be risky. Someone's got to say, you know what? I'm going to take a chance here, and I'm going to fight for someone that can't fight for themselves. I thought that was a perfect picture of who, of, of allowing God to interrupt our busy life. Scott said up here last week, it's too busy to be involved. We're too busy to do these things. That's a perfect example of what it looks like to let God interrupt you in our busy schedule and say, you know what? i got to do something about this. I'm compelled to act here. We have to do something. You know, I heard, uh, I want to say Neil Armstrong, but I know that's not right. Neil, Clenden, Neil Armstrong, I know he did something famous. Um, they don't pay me to do this, so don't, don't worry, t- your, your money's not going to waste. Jeez. Um, uh... He said there's something about the interruption. Are you willing to be interrupted? Where would my life be if Joey saw me as an interruption, as just some bad interruption? Where would I be? Me and Crystal probably would, would be married. And this, probably wouldn't be married. Where would I be, where would I be personally without Kelly Geyer? Who when I first started coming here met me all the time. Never, never canceled. He never thought I was too unimportant. He didn't think I was too insignificant. He helped me. Where would I be without him? Where would I be without that guy? We wouldn't have Zadie. I wouldn't have Allison in my life because me and Crystal have gone our separate ways. But he, didn't, he welcomed this interruption. He welcomed this. You know, another picture that I see with, with, with uh, Charlie and Amanda is there, in Matthew 25, it says, there was two groups of people. When did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we do these? visit you in prison? Both of them gave the same answer. Both gave the same answer. One only did things when it promoted self. I'm going to do this because the big pastor called me and said, I'm going to do this because this might bring me a little bit of glory. You know what I'm saying? Or, or someone popular. I'm going to help because that person's popular. Shane is unpopular. He helped because he was compelled to help. And he jumped on the thing. He didn't know the significance. But I do because I'm watching it. I know what the gospel says, and that's what the gospel is. That's what it says. They gave the same answer. One's doing it for self-righteousness. The other one's doing it because he just has to help. They don't even know. They just have to help. It's, written, it's just written in them. Moving on, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I hope I can find this, because this is really going to irritate me if I can't find this. But um, That verse, Joe Barwell gave me that verse when I first, I think it was the first time I did life group. It was many, many, many years ago. He gave me a bunch of cue cards. From the expression on your face, I don't know if you remember that or not. (laughs) But that was the one that stuck with me because it says being anxious. I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. This is not normal. Sitting here and having, in my world, everyone staring at the back of my bald head. And it freaks me out. That's why I sit back there so I can see everybody. That's anxiety. That's what it does to my mind. I can't help it. It just keeps happening. But it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray, every situation, prayer, petition. Present your requests to God. Okay, here we go. Illustration time. About five, six weeks ago, Crystal went to the doctor. I'm going to try to keep my thing together here. Crystal went to the doctor. And I called her, it was a Wednesday, and I called her, I just, hey, how did it go? And I could tell because I know my wife, she was holding something back. And so I'm like, what? What's this? I get home, and I got a kind of pull. And we're sitting on the couch. I said, what's going on? What happened? And she says, well, the nurse practitioner saw something, and I can tell by the look on her face there was a sense of urgency And she said, you need to see a specialist, I mean, like, tomorrow. And I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, okay, what? She shows me a few things I could see, and it was scary. Don't Google stuff. Lesson. Because it'll tell you the absolute worst. But I'm looking at her. And I said, do you want me to stay home? Wednesday's the night we go to the prison. I go, do you want me to stay home tonight? And as she fights back tears, she says, no, we're not doing this. I haven't been diagnosed with anything yet. We're not doing, we're not changing life just yet. So I go, and from that Wednesday, everything, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, my body, my mind, everything wants to freak. But something in here just kept me walking. I would walk home. I wouldn't let anyone know that I was being by. I think Crystal deep down knew. But I kept walking into this. I'm like, no, I'm not. This is what? The longest week of my life. I was so attentive to her. I was so attentive to her every need. And I'm not saying I'm a bad husband. But every move, every word she'd say, I hung on it. And I looked into her eyes because... I was scared that maybe I wouldn't get to have that. So all of a sudden, I'm this great husband. And it was hard watching, you know, the girls, the kids, no one knew, just me and Crystal. The kids didn't know. And they're not bad kids. It's just, you know, how kids are. They say some things, and I'm watching, I'm like, don't ever say that. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to keep it together. It was hard because I knew the burden she was carrying and we didn't want to share that with them yet. We didn't want to put that on them yet. We didn't know. Why do, I have to be, why do I have to give it my all when I think I'm about to lose it? Why is that? Why do I care so much when all of a sudden I'm about to lose it? I see it a lot when I'm going to the prison. When guys are without, they're broken hearted. They get out and I don't know what, sometimes some, some go this way, some go that way but i watch it why do i got to have the threat of losing something before i cherish it i watched big brother for crying out loud that's a joke but i gave her my best i gave her my best because i thought she was going to be gone we get to that hospital you know and another thing i don't want to forget this part I'm running out of time. Um, I. There was a question that came up between me and God: Would I trade places with her? Because at one point Zach Butler got up here and gave a message about let your rain, let your words fall on me like rain, let it pour down on me. I am prepared to hear what you have to say. He didn't know. He was just speaking what God put on his heart. I was sitting there crumbling because Crystal had already left yet. Monday morning, I got into my truck and was reading, and the church had given out those things that says, Psalm 112, 6 through 8, I will not be afraid of bad news. I almost fainted. I was convinced Crystal was going to lose her. I was convinced of it. Absolutely convinced. And I didn't want to share that with her. But on the way there, this question kept coming up, would I trade places? And I wanted to be authentic about it. I wanted to be real. I wanted not just to say that, because it's easy to just say things. On my way there, I said, Lord, I will trade places with her. If it meant she keeps going, I will come and meet you and have my encounter with you on the other side. I'm, I'm ready. She doesn't know that I did that. That was something between me and God. And I didn't know the significance of it, until I talked to Scott Sterling. And he told me, goes, you know what? That's what Jesus does for each and every one of us. That's what he did for each and every one of us. He said, no, I'll do this for you. I'll look this in the eye for you. I'll walk down this and hang on that cross for each and every one of us. I will do it because I know you can't. I asked God... This week has been so crazy. It's been so overwhelming. Do you know how my week has been, God? And he says, yeah. You remember me in the garden before I went to that cross for you? You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. And, guys, i gotta, I got to speed up here. I'm running out of time. There's another person here that has had years of anxiety, years of worrying, years of requests to God, years of prayers and petition that her son would be delivered. That's Diane Middleton. Well, let's bring Bill up. Let's give Bill, Bill a round of applause.
1: Hello. Thank you for being here. Let me get up here and talk. Um, I'm gonna, he's going to ask me some questions, man. I'm just going to go ahead and talk since we're running out of time. Basically, uh. Uh, I grew up, you know, my mom, she's always been there for me uh, my whole life. Um, She met a good guy, Doug Hawkins, and, uh, you know, she met him when I was young, and he's taught me a lot of things in my life, manners, uh, you know, taught me how to mow the grass, try to teach me about cars. I didn't grasp that too good, but... um, Basically, man, uh, when I was young, I had a desire to be something great in my mind. Uh, it went from wanting to be a police officer uh, to wanting to try to start a gang because I wanted to control of things, which it never happened, never did that. But uh, I wanted to be in control. Um, when I was uh, 12, I started, uh, I drank for the first time. Uh, and I drank with my dad, uh, my real dad. And uh, I know I always felt like an outcast when I was young. Uh, just didn't belong. And that time I drank, I felt like I belonged. And, uh, I was able to talk and be something that in my mind, you know, I was never able to be, um, got into, got into drugs pretty, pretty early on, uh, ended up in prison, man, when I was 16, uh, got, had a second degree robbery, um, did nine years on a 15 year sentence. Um, and what that looked, you know, Doug had asked uh, one of the questions was what that looked like for, for me and my mom that whole time. Uh, talking to my mom this morning, you know, she told me she thought about it every day, you know, from the time she woke up to the time she went to bed. Um, she she went to work. That was her outlet, going to work. Um, did the nine years. Um, I ended up getting sober towards the end of it. I stayed messed up in prison. Uh, my mom my I took advantage of people, uh, my family um, getting to send money for drugs and and they do it um, It got to where I couldn't really lie no more to my mom, you know something was wrong, and she she knew what was going on, you know, and she wanted me to be okay and so she she took care of me and um, she's been there through the ins and out my whole life man she's been to every prison i've been to um Ended up getting sober the last two years of my first sentence. Um, they called me to the chapel there. I really didn't have no relationship with God or none of that, wasn't involved in that stuff. Uh, they called me to the chapel, and I knew something was wrong, and I thought something had happened to my mom. And it ended up that my grandma on my dad's side uh, had, had a heart attack. So I, uh, I shed one tear uh, because I heard the hurt of my dad and, and my uh, aunt's voice. And uh, I went back out you know walked out of the chapel went to the cell went got some weed went to the cell and got high but something was kind of different me and my other grandma that's sitting up here today she asked me she said bill what are you going to do and i said i got to do something so i went cut went to protective custody trying to get away from the drugs and uh when i was over there i was i was introduced to a, a program and a guy came in from the streets and he and he He's, there were some steps to it. And, um, he basically doing these things, man, brought me to God and, uh, I got sober and, uh, stayed sober for two and a half years. Um, at the end of my prison sentence, I got out, got involved with the group. Um, and you know, my whole life changed, man. Uh, i I've, I was hopeless before I knew I was going to die. In my addiction, um, is either my addiction or a heart attack. I don't know why these things were in my mind, but that's what was in my mind. And, uh, he showed me hope and uh, I came to know God in that program and uh, I started reading the Bible man and the Bible started making sense to me in ways that I have never even imagined it started changing my heart Um, when I got out of prison um, I was I was out for about three months and I remember I was sitting with one of my mentors and we were at this dance and uh, there was a girl I've been looking at you know I was seeing all these people in relationships and my life had changed so much you know and uh, you know, I wanted I wanted to, a relationship too, and and I looked at my my mentor, and I was like, you know, should I go ask her out? And he said, why don't you pray about it? And I was like, I'll pray later. I said, I'll pray later, man. And uh, so I went and asked this girl out, and we went out to eat. And um, on the way there, I was like, God, I give this into your hands. So now I'm now I'm looking to God, you know. And uh, basically, what happened, man? She was a good girl and all that, but I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for it, man. I wasn't ready for that. Taking on another person's life you know I got caught up in it worried about her leaving me wasn't focused on her uh I do have a very obsessive mind man and and one day the thought came that I wanted to drink and so I went and I drank and uh I held on for about three weeks and uh I went and drank and I remember before I drank man I thought I'm just gonna drink and then I'm gonna jump back into this back into God and all that it's taken me four more times in prison and uh uh trying in and out, you know, I'd go in and out, uh, with God, you know, I'd pray to God and then I would go use again and all this. Um, I'll say what happened this time, man, was I I, I caught another second degree robbery, man. And I want to be honest about that. Um, ain't nothing. It's disgusting thing, man, that I've done. And, uh, you know, I really don't deserve to be where I'm at today either. And, uh, this time, I was I was facing if I was to get out and catch another robbery, I I would get life in prison. And uh these things started becoming real to me. And uh it started I started seeing, man, that I do the same thing every time and it, it's it seems like it makes sense. Like, yeah, you got a problem, you know what I mean? But I was in denial or whatever it was, you know, I didn't want to believe it. I wanna believe that somehow it's gonna have something like Doug had, you know, this um, great spiritual experience, you know, with God, and, and it's delivered and all of this or whatever. But to me, I still have thoughts at times. It's a one-day-at-a-time thing, man. That's what, that's what I live by. I live by today. And uh, what happened this time was I was uh, laying in my prison bed. I had just relapsed, and I thought about calling my mom and telling her, man, don't come visit me, because she knew I had been trying. I lifted my mom up and let her down so many times, along with my, the rest of my family, because I understand the ripple effect of all these things. Uh, At least as as good as I can. Um, But I was laying in bed, and uh, I was disgusted with myself, man. I was like, this is what I want. This is really what I want, man, this life, you know. And uh, I lay down, and I I had this thought, man, out of nowhere. I was just disgusted. I was looking at my celly like, oh, my gosh. You know, it was hot in the cell, you know, and I'm just hopeless. And uh, God had placed people in prison, man, in my life. I had like two, three people, man, who were always there for me. You know, they was. I would go outside and I'd be thinking about using man. Here would come the guy. Hey, what's going on? I'm like, what are you doing, man? He's like, well, I just came out to see how it was. And sometimes, man, he would just start talking about things that I was struggling with at the time, just out of nowhere. And and that's that was showing me, man, that God was there. And I would go up to the to the chow hall and walk through, and there was this always this guy, and he'd come to these meetings, and he was always, you know, preaching God, and he'd be like, keep fighting that good fight, you know. He always had some little word to keep me going and uh but laying in my bed for about three days miserable I, I lay down I had a thought man I don't have to live like this and I asked God for forgiveness and uh in that second in one second man all the shame and guilt and all that stuff went away and I've been sober since then and uh that <laughs> and that that was a miracle because I didn't understand God's forgiveness like that, man. I was taught to pray when I was young. Uh I went to a Mormon church an RLDS church when I was young, got baptized in that church uh on my dad, my dad's ex. And um so I had an idea of God, man, but I did not have an idea of God's forgiveness until until that day, man. And God's forgiveness is what makes me be able to come in here, knowing that there's a lot of people here in here who don't have this struggle that I had with addiction and things, haven't made the decisions I made and be able to stand up here. Doug, he's been there for me uh, for the past, I think it's was 2011 that I met him, man, and he's been there uh, ever since. He is, he shows me God's love, man. I see God's love in him, through his ups and downs, whatever, man. He has been my Christian mentor. Past, been there. All the guys, all the guys that came in that prison go to this church, man. And I went I went to Life Group, I want to say this too, I went to Sean Banks Life Group last year. And I remember I was in there. I, Pat was going there with me, and uh, they started talking about our, our past, you know, our family history and stuff. And I, I just broke out and told them my situation. I was expecting to be, you know, them to shun me like, oh, goodness, or talk behind my back or something. And, you know, Sean Banks is like, man, that's hot. That's he said, man, you can come over here any time. You come over here any day. It doesn't have to be like group night. And I've been shown all love. Adam, you know, I told him my story, man, this dude. I was expecting from him, you know, he's a banker and things and, you know, and I'm like, man, he ain't going to, you know, God's forgiveness and and strength that he gave me, man, put it in my heart to go ask if I could be a part of the worship team. And when I sat down with Adam and told him my story, man, he he didn't act no different. You know, he told me that, you know, you're going to have to sit in rehearsals for a while. And I was thinking, man, I'm going to be up on stage next week, you know, and, uh, but he's like you know we sit in rehearsals for a while and and stuff like that and that's what i did and god's forgiveness man helped me to walk into there knowing that these people uh probably haven't been through the thing put myself through the things i did and uh to be able to walk up in there and be a part of that so i don't really know what to say man uh I'm grateful to be here. I love this church. Uh, I've been shown all love here, and that's what I, that's that's why I love it. You know, uh, Dan Brown too, and all the guys in the prison ministry. You know, it was it was a blessing to be put in this place. And um, anyway, that's all I got. Thank you for letting me share.
0: Guys, uh, when I think of that story about Bill asking, he asked for the right thing, like Solomon. He asked for the right thing, and God showed up, and God has shown up in Bill's life, and you know, there's a story, I don't, just because we're, time is a thing right now, there's a story in Mark chapter 5, it actually starts in chapter 4, and uh, it's about the madman and the pigs, and and, you know, I reassured, Bill said, you sure you want to go with that, because I don't want people to think I'm possessed by a bunch of demons, and I was like, (laughs) don't worry." You're not he's not possessed by a bunch of demons. But I just I think it's significant because if you read the whole story from four, I believe it is thirty, all the way down to five twenty, they leave. They go through a storm, a crazy storm where the disciples think they're all gonna drown. So when they land on the beach where they're about to meet the sky, it's dark time. There's tombs. It's a a, like a, a a scary setting. And then some madman comes out and acting all crazy and naked and got changed and he's all, you know, I would ask Jesus, hey, we might want to move down a little bit, you know, let's get away from this. But, and then Jesus also, after healing him, faces rejection from the people. The people thought the pigs were more important than the person. Jesus went through all that for one guy. That's how valuable he thought Bill was. That's how valuable he thinks I am, Seth is, Joey is, Bruce, the Pope. One person, he went through that. All that for one person. He was that important that I needed to go through that to make sure this person knows that they are significant because a lot of us come from this life and don't think we're significant or don't deserve anything. But Jesus says, no, you are. At the very end of that, it says, hey, can I go with you? Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here. I want you to tell your family about how merciful I have been. If you've ever seen Bill wheel his grandmother in, I know Bill's story is absolutely beautiful. Look at his family that's here. He's on his fifth step with making amends. People are calling him because they are compelled because something's different about this dude. When we've made a lot of mistakes in our life, a lot of people don't want to be around us, especially our family, because they've been front row seat to it. But they're starting to whisper. They're starting to open their eyes like, whoa something's different about Bill. You know what I'm saying? I think that story represents who Bill is perfectly. You know, I want to say one more thing. We need to stop finding reasons not to meet with somebody. Maybe they've done too much prison time. Maybe they smoke. Maybe they cuss a little bit. Maybe she dresses a little promiscuous. Stop finding reasons not to meet with people and charge after them the same way the Lord charged after your butt. Start doing that. Because I've heard every excuse in the book why not to meet with somebody. Why not meet with that person? Why aren't they good enough? They're just as welcome to this redeemed life as any of us. We've got to find a reason to chase after them. And there's some, some words here that I know that Paul is describing Jesus because it says here in Philippians 4, 8, 9, summing it all up, friends, I'd say to you, it's best to fill your minds and meditate on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. Those words obviously describe Jesus. Obviously, he's describing Jesus's life. But I had to flip that this week. Does that describe me? Am I walking to a different tune that my life is compelling that someone wants to see it and say, I'm curious about this Jesus he's been talking about? Or am I just a Sunday Christian? Just show up on Sunday, give high fives, tell everybody how cool it is, and we give hugs and squeezes. But then when the week happens, when the war is really going on, I'm unavailable. Not me. And I know there's a lot of faces in here that are available too. I see it. I want those words to describe Gateway Church. I want those words to describe each and every one of us. That then when they see us walking, they're like, where do they go to church? They go to Gateway Church. I'm going there because I see Jesus there. Guys, uh, Heavenly Father... I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, as we go out this week, I pray that we would be authentic. I know we can't be perfect in the the definition of authentic is being as close to the real thing as possible. I pray that that would be us this week and every week, that we'd be as close to the real thing as possible, that we would show Somebody, something different this week. Someone that we may think is a lost cause, and we overlook them, but not anymore. There, there's no such thing as lost causes, just missed opportunities. Heavenly Father, I pray that we'll be ready. The lesson this week in, at the prison was being ready. I pray that we are ready for the interruption. I pray that we are ready for what God has for us. I pray that maybe someone in here is ready to give their life to Christ. I pray that someone is ready to give up that pet sin that they've been struggling with, that they would give it up today. They'd be ready to relinquish it to the Lord today. I pray that we're ready to, I pray that we're just ready to go out and encounter our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray that our lives would reflect Jesus. And uh, guys, I want to thank you for coming. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.